Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. The Kidley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, but Kidley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by the Colorado XOs. I'm Henry Chisholm, and uh, there's a few quick things we're going to talk about today. Um, real quick, we had uh, the SEC commissioner say that, I guess he didn't say necessarily that if a team isn't healthy enough to play or doesn't have enough players healthy enough to play a game that they would have to forfeit, but he came pretty close to it. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, Nate Landman made the Bednarik Award watch list, which goes to the nation's best defensive player. There's like a hundred guys on the list, so I don't know. Being being one of the top 100 defenders is an achievement of its own. We have high standards for Nate, uh, so we're going to talk about that just a little bit, um, and then we're also going to touch on. Actually, I I just stumbled across this article. Uh, from the Oklahoman, which is a newspaper in Oklahoma. Bet you didn't see that one coming. Um, basically, it was about... I mean, he The guy interviewed the head of officiating in the Big 12 who talked about the length of college football games um, and basically said, we're trying to cut it down by about 10 minutes. So I'm going to uh, run through some of what they had to say and also some of my thoughts about the length of college football games. They are too long, but is it worth changing it? That's a big question. So that's kind of the plan for today and uh, should be kind of a quick one, I would guess. That's not like the most intense schedule, but uh, who knows? Who knows? Also, I will say I went back through that Arizona game again. One other note, something I didn't pick up on the first time. Sam Neuer, I guess that wasn't even the first time. That was like the third time. But the the thing I didn't pick up on the third time through that game, or either of the first two, Sam Neuer completed one pass, one pass total on drives that resulted in points. So Colorado wins that game 24-13, and on their four scoring drives, three touchdowns, one field goal, he completed one pass. And it was a little screen pass to Dimitri Stanley that went for like 30-something yards because... It's Dimitri Stanley, and it's the Arizona Wildcat defense. But I uh, was very upset with myself for missing that on the last podcast, or I guess that watch last watch through, not having it for the last podcast. Just a little fun fact there that uh, I don't even know. Isn't that kind of crazy though? Like I think he only attempted like three other passes on those drives, and they were all incomplete. It might have only been two. Now that I think of it, um, but yeah, this ran the ball so well that. 
They didn't need him to. And then there were the other passes, both across midfield, one in the red zone, that were interceptions. And it was a, it was a tough day for Sam Neuer. We talked about that already. We don't need to rehash all of it. Um, but there we go. So uh, before we get into all of this stuff, let's start by saying a couple more words about the presenting sponsor of this podcast, the Colorado XOs. So the Colorado XOs, their rugby team based here in Colorado, train at the same place as the U.S. national team out in Glendale, and uh, they're trying to get guys into the pros. They're taking athletes who played other sports, teach them how to play rugby. Uh, it's cool stuff. They got six guys into the into Major League Rugby in their first season, which is really cool. So follow along with DMVR Rugby on Twitter, the podcast. There's written content on the website as well. Okay. So uh, let's let's start with the Bednarik watch list stuff for Nate. Um, it's really cool, first of all. Very cool. Um it's also kind of normal for Nate at this point. Um, it's his, what, uh, third time being on the Bednarik watch list. Uh, three straight years, obviously. Um, so let's see. So six different players have been on the watch list. It says six mentions. So that means that really there have been three other mentions outside of Nate since 2016. Um, and also... Jordan Dyson is, I really hope I pronounced that right. I think this is the first time we've talked about him on this podcast. And I've, I'm, I'm actually batting like 200 on first time saying just kind of tricky names on this podcast. But uh, he's the only one who's ever moved beyond the watch list. Uh, he was a semifinalist in 2007. So pretty exclusive group, obviously, to get in there. Um one of 90 players on the preseason watch list. And I think that that's all we need from that. Here's what I want to do, though. Um, let's go through these stats from last year and talk about whether it's sustainable. Uh, it's something that we kind of did with uh, Sam Neuer, or it's not Sam Neuer, Carson Wells, when uh, we talked about the outside linebackers. I think that was last week. Um, but we didn't do it for Nate the first time around. So... Last year, let's just hit these fast, 12.3 tackles per game, and then he had 11 tackles for loss in five games, so what's that? That's uh, two per game plus one more every five games, uh, so 2.2, and five sacks, one sack per game. What do we think of that? Those 12.3 tackles, that is a massive number. I think that is sustainable, though. I think that the way Nate plays... And the fact that he's kind of the centerpiece in this defense, 12.3 is certainly replicable. There we go. Um, The 11 tackles for loss in five games, it's going to be tricky. I think that it's more likely that he's just under two tackles for loss per game than just over. But you also look at that, that schedule and say, well... If he plays the whole first half against Northern Colorado, and I guess he probably would be one of the first to get pulled, first of all because he's Nate Landman, also because of the Achilles, um, but he could really rack him up in that first game. And if he gets off to a hot start there, say he gets like four or five tackles for loss per game, which is like a crazy high standard to hold him to, but I do think it's possible, it would make it easier to sustain that pace throughout the year, that like two per game pace. But again, more likely just under two per game than just over two per game. Um, and then five sacks, a sack per game. 
If he gets half a sack per game, you say, wow, what a season for Nate in that category. Now, obviously he did put up a lot of sacks last year, so it's possible that he is just that good of a blitzer that even though he isn't going after the quarterback as much as a guy like Carson Wells or last year like Mustafa Johnson, he's still able to put up just ridiculous numbers. Again, I'm not willing to put anything past Nate Landman. But, again, that's one where you expect it to tick down. Um, still, though, even if he if he keeps that tackles right at 12 per game, he moves that tackles for loss from just over two to just under two and then winds up with about half as many sacks, I bet he's an All-American again next year. Uh, he just played so well that you can't expect somebody to do that again. Um, Some more fun stats from this before we get out of here. Uh, he was the sixth player to record 250-plus tackles over a two-season span. That was 2018-2019. Um, that's in, I think, CU history. But... Uh, also became just a third player in CU history to average 10-plus tackles per game for three straight seasons. I'll give you a second to see if you can guess the other two CU defenders who put up 10 tackles per game for three straight seasons. Okay, Barry Remington, Greg Beekert. Oh, my goodness. We, hit, we, had, we had Beekert and Dyson the first one. There's no way I got them both right. Um, so there you go. Nate, Bednarik Award watch list, really cool. He's going to be on plenty of watch lists. Figured we'd have one of those conversations to start things off. Um, Let's just jump real quick into this SEC stuff. So, I've really enjoyed just watching all these media days all day because it's fun to hear people talk about football and all that kind of stuff. I'll say this. Um... Yesterday, when the SEC commissioner was talking, I, I think he was asked a question like, what's going to happen if, if a team doesn't have enough players to play? He didn't say for sure. Basically, what he said was, well, we're not going to postpone the game. We don't have weeks built in, so if, if that game can't be played, it's not just going to get moved. He did really make it seem like the most likely outcome is a forfeit, but he didn't just say that, and I think it's probably because he thought, well, I don't, we, we don't have this totally pinned down yet, and if I go out and say it, then the people who want to have these conversations and all that kind of stuff, they're going to be upset that I got out in front of this whole conversation. Um, but he did really heavily imply and say, like, you know, we'll talk to the two teams and do that kind of stuff. Uh, we'll, we'll figure it out before the season probably. But, yeah, it does sound like if somebody can't field a team for a game in the SEC – they're going to be forced to take a forfeit. And I'm pretty sure it was the Big 12 that uh, said a day or two ago that that was going to be the case there, that you'd have to forfeit if you don't have enough players. And at this point, it kind of makes sense. I mean, it absolutely makes sense because, you know, if if you don't want to get sick, you can't guarantee that you won't get sick. But, you know, there is a vaccine out there. And if you're not playing games, then it hurts everybody because you're losing a bunch of revenue because you got to refund tickets. You've got to, you've probably got to, or your payment, I guess, probably just isn't as big from the TV deal and all that kind of stuff. And so it isn't like it's a, it hurts no one type of deal. No, it does hurt people if you can't play those games. And uh, so, yeah, 
I do expect the Pac-12 to do something similar. Um, and, you know, should it be a forfeit? Should it be like a no contest and then you have to maybe even have like the team that was sick pay for it? No, I probably, it makes sense just to have the forfeit, especially because you remember what happened to Colorado last year. Uh, it didn't wind up mattering. But, you know, if Colorado would have won that game against Utah, they still wouldn't have been eligible or they still wouldn't have been like the Pac-12 South champion and have gotten to re- represent the Pac-12 South in the bowl game uh, or in the Pac-12 championship because they didn't have as many wins as USC did. Um, and it just sucked because USC canceled the game with them. Arizona State canceled the game with them. And it was not Colorado's fault. Had those been called forfeits, everything would have been different. And so as People who follow Colorado, we've all kind of seen firsthand how other people having COVID issues can really hurt the team competitively. Um, And that's something you have to avoid. And the only way to do that is to give it a forfeit. So it just makes sense. Um, But it's one of those things that, I don't know, so many of the rules in college football have been the same for so long and not just college football, all levels of football and all sports, just because they're old games and basically everything has been sorted out. What you do when there's a pandemic and one team has an outbreak and you know, last year you say, well, if you have an outbreak, it's probably uh, 70% bad luck and 30% your own fault. Um, with the bad luck being, I mean, it's a pandemic. The disease is going around. The 30% being, well, we're wearing masks. You got to be tested before you go in the facilities. You got to keep people away from each other. And maybe it's more 50-50 than 70-30, but there is a split in terms of responsibility. At this point, though, when there's there's a, a vaccine out there that's whatever, the... Oh my goodness, remembering all the names. The Pfizer and the Moderna, there we go. They're like in the 90% of effectiveness. And you've got the Johnson & Johnson that's like in the 70s. You know, that 70% bad luck. It's like, well, the odds of that happening when the vaccines are that effective. Now you have to factor in that it's 90-something percent effective for each of the 90 people on the team. Um, and so really it's that it's the, the odds have shift much more in favor of it's kind of your own fault if you get sick. And so it just kind of makes sense to me. Um, at least that's how I think about it. We'll see what the PAC 12 thinks about it um, here shortly. Um, okay. Before we get into this um, length of college football games thing, which I think is kind of interesting. I feel like, I don't know. It's the kind of thing that I feel like you should talk about once a year, you know, because it is an issue in my mind that it feels like when you're watching a college football game, it's just going to go for four hours. So we haven't talked about it in a year, so let's do it. Um, Real quick, though, before that, going to take a quick break, have a couple of sponsors to shout out. Uh, going to start by reminding you guys that campus around the corner going to be filling the website with a whole bunch of great content. And there's a bunch of other perks if you want to become a member. So check all of that out um, at thedmvr.com. All the other sports on there too if you like other sports. Um, so yeah, going to be a bunch of cool stuff on the way. Definitely don't miss out on 
any of that. Also, want to give a shout out to our friends over at Breckenridge Brewery. Uh, they've been making great beers, great seltzers, and let's see, what am I feeling today? I mean, I, I feel like I have this conversation every time. It's like either a seltzer or a strawberry sky because it's true because this time of year, strawberry sky is just the perfect drink or a seltzer because again, they're like a hundred calories or something and they have, it's, it's been weird to watch the shift. I remember when seltzers first came out, they were considered like a girly drink. Um, that was like when I was in college, it was like halfway through college for me that those came out and there's like, okay, all the girls show up and they have their seltzers and the men drink beer. And maybe that was just a Montana thing in hindsight. Cause that sounds very Montana when I say it out loud. Um, but ever since then, like my dad's old golf friends, they drink seltzers. Now, you know, I obviously drink a lot of seltzers. The DMVR in general drinks a lot of seltzers and it's kind of been this shift. And I don't know what it is. If I had to guess, I would say it's like, Men feeling the need to be masculine has just been kind of outweighed by how incredible seltzers are at this point. Because again, like 100 calories, a little bit more alcohol than a beer, uh, taste good usually, or at the very least, they don't taste bad. Um, they're easy to drink a lot of. They're refreshing and are enjoyable, even if you're just drinking a few. And it's just like this nice mix of things. And it's something that Breckenridge Brewery has, in my opinion, perfected. Um, I still like the classic seltzers. I'm cool with the lemonade seltzers, too. Um, but to me, I just like a, a good old-fashioned seltzer, the way they used to make it back in my day, like three years ago. Um, so, yeah, check those out. Check the Strawberry Sky out. Um Check out the food down at the farmhouse in Littleton. Uh, and remember, 1% of all their profits this summer are going to the National Parks Conservation Association. Um, I'm up in Montana now. I No, I haven't said that on a podcast yet. Yeah, up in Montana again before uh have got another little trip to make next week. We'll talk about that later in the week. And uh, yeah, it's uh, right next to a national park, but there's just smoke everywhere. Just like there was in Colorado. Not just like. It's worse here than it was in Colorado. It was bad in Colorado, though. Um, it's just really, really bad. Like, you can't even see the mountains here. It's honestly kind of weird to look around. Because you don't see it like this very often. It's like every few years. I mean, at this point, maybe it's more often than that. But, uh, yeah. With all that going on, it's good to protect our parks and all that kind of stuff. 1%, like I said, of Breckenridge's profits going to the national parks. We like them. So, let's do it. Uh, DraftKings. Oh, DraftKings has an awesome promotion. I saw this on when we were doing the last podcast, but couldn't say anything about it. DraftKings Sportsbook, not only my favorite sportsbook, but also America's top-rated sportsbook, has an awesome promotion, which has a lot to do with America. Uh, all of our top athletes are over in Tokyo competing for the gold, and DraftKings has a medal-worthy offer just for all of you. Listen to this. If you place any pre-event wager... Of $1, oh, okay, I misread that, to be eligible, yeah, so place any pre-event wager of $1 to be eligible to cash $100 in free credits if America wins any medal this year. That's 100 to 1 odds on an American athlete to stand on the podium, receive gold, silver, or bronze. Um, it's 100 to 1 odds, and you don't get that very often. Who? 
Okay, yeah, download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DMVR when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits if America wins a medal. That's code DMVR to turn $1 into $100 in free credits for limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Um, yeah, that's a sweet offer. Okay, um, before we get out of here, like I said, want to talk about this officiating stuff. Um, again, this comes from a story from the Oklahoman, which, as you may have guessed, a newspaper in Oklahoma. Um, so, they did an interview with the head of officiating in the Big 12, and he had some interesting things to say. He said that the average game time is 3 hours and 24 minutes. They want it to be... Three hours and 15 minutes. So that sounds like a very small change, but cutting nine minutes out is kind of tough to do. Like you think, what if they said, okay, nine minutes of commercials, gone. Well, usually those commercial breaks are what, like two minutes? So you're cutting out four commercial breaks and a half? That's a lot of commercial breaks. Um, And there's a bunch of other ways you can do it, but just kind of put things in perspective. That is tough. Um, and also, it's worth noting, like, you think about 324 and you're like, well, 3 hours, 24 minutes, that isn't that bad. It feels like they're longer. Yeah, it feels like they're longer because that's measured, like, from the kickoff time until the final whistle time. It's not the, like, the game starts at 7, so we measure from 7 o'clock until the time. It's like, no. The game says it starts at 7, and then it really kicks off at, like, 7.10 after the commentators talk for a bit, and then... After the game is over, there's another, like, three to five minutes of them just like, okay, what a good game. And sometimes, like, bring a coach over on the sideline or whatever and talk to them. And so the broadcast winds up being even longer than that, and that's why they feel like they're all four hours. But they're actually not. They're three hours and 24 minutes. Um, Again, though, they want to cut that down to about 3.15. I, sure. I don't really care about the number. I just know that it, it they do get way too long. Um, really, the only quote that we need to get into was that it's being done wow, collaboratively across the country. Um, so this isn't just a Big 12 thing. This is everybody, which means it's relevant to us. Um, you know, the, the big problem, it's the one that they point out to, the easiest one to fix. The clock stops after a first down. So, again, you want to cut nine minutes out? How much time does it cut out? Just let the clock run in those situations. And it's um, it's tough in terms of like whether that is a good idea or not. You know, it's it's kind of like a staple of college football. It does change the game. You know, they touched on this in the newspaper story too. He said it leaves more time for a comeback. You know, if you're trying to get down the field late in the game, um, obviously you have more time to do that when you don't have another 10 seconds or whatever running off the clock. Probably even more than that. It is definitely more than that, running off the clock um, between snaps. Um, Also noted in there, and this is a good point, a longer game means it's more likely to be a blowout. Um, Which, if you're having trouble wrapping your head around it, you know, good way to wrap your head around things. You look to the extremes. Imagine a game between, well, let's say the University of Montana, because we like them, 
um, and uh, the University of Alabama because they are really, really, really good at football. As much as I hate to admit it, they would probably beat Montana by a wide margin. Um, If they play uh, a four-hour game, four hours of game time, the clock starts at, I guess, each quarter is 60 minutes. What's going to happen in that game? Alabama's going to score and score and score. Montana's probably not going to win. The margin at the end is going to be very wide. What happens if uh, it's a uh, one-quarter game? You know, you just play the first quarter, it's 15 minutes. Um, Well, Alabama will still probably win, but it'll probably only be, what, like 21-0 to or something because there's just not enough time to score more than that. But also, the chances of Montana pulling an upset much, much better because... I mean, you need, what if they get one interception on Alabama's first drive and return it for a touchdown? All of a sudden, it's 7-0, and they can kind of play a clock a little bit. You know, it just becomes much easier in a shortened game. So, now, obviously, that talent imbalance is the most extreme example, but that was kind of the point. Uh, it, that same concept still holds true as you get closer and closer to evenly matched teams. Um, so, yeah. I thought that that was a good point that they brought up in the article and maybe not something I would have thought of. But I think that that might be what kind of tips me in favor of getting rid of that stopped clock after the first down with the idea being, you know, sure, you're going to make it less likely that there's a late comeback. There's going to be less time for a team to come back um, because the odds are just stacked against them a little bit more. At the same time, though, you're also increasing the odds of a situation where there can be a late comeback. You know, let's see, were there any Colorado games like that last year? Not that I can think of. Basically a game where Colorado was in kind of a close game with 10 minutes to go, but in that last 10 minutes is where things really separated. Um... So the answer is no. But, again, I think that that's probably the first place you look. It would be weird, but I'd be down for it. Um, Other ideas? You know, the most obvious, um, shortening the quarters, going from 15 minutes to 12 minutes. I don't like it. I if That's just... Quarters are meant to be 15 minutes. The games are supposed to be an hour. I'm not messing with that one. Um, there's other stuff, obviously like getting rid of some of the commercial breaks or shortening the ones that you have. I mean, yeah, as somebody who wants to watch the games, I am all for that. I, uh, I don't know that you want to take all that money away from the conferences. And I don't even know about that. If, if across the board, every team lost like 10% of its revenue and games were shortened I personally wouldn't really care but I know that there's no way that that's ever going to happen and so that one's probably off the board too um what else is there um getting rid of some of the timeouts you don't get you know maybe you get five timeouts for the game instead of three and three you know maybe you get four timeouts for the game something like that again timeouts timeouts have always there's always been three of them per half and I don't like changing that sort of thing um I've seen a shorter play clock 
has been suggested, and I wonder why that is. No, no, I don't. It's because sometimes the the game clock is stopped while the play clock is going. So you're coming off an incompletion, and the play clock is 40 seconds. Well, that's 40 seconds where the clock isn't running. You cut that down, then there's another play. At the same time, that's going to obviously lead to more plays that happen in a game, and that would lead to more incompletions. It's just that the incompletions wouldn't count as much. I don't know that that would make too much of a difference. I might just be an idiot, though. Um, If it did make it shorter, cutting the play clock down from 40 seconds, again, you want to make that 35, put me in the big I-don't-care pile. Um, What a dumb thing to say. Uh, Changing the, the substitutions. So maybe you can't substitute players as easily, whatever. No, don't mess with that. Um, I thought there was one more good one in here. Maybe not. Maybe there's just... Oh, shortening halftime. And that's the one everybody talks about. So college football, 20-minute halftime. NFL, 12-minute halftime. I mean, I have two thoughts here, and they kind of cancel each other out. First of all, number one, halftime doesn't have to be 20 minutes. Halftime could absolutely be 12 minutes. Football-wise, it makes no difference at all. Also, people like to see the marching band at halftime. So, why not let them watch the marching band? And so then you go through all this, and it's like, well, maybe unless we're willing to really change something, the one thing that I would look to is, you know, do you need to stop the clock after first downs? And to me, there's a there's a happy balance right there. You just you stop the clock after first downs inside of two minutes and a half. Outside of that, clock just keeps running. Make me the commissioner of something. Um, that way you still get the chance to make those comebacks, but also the clock keeps running when it makes sense to not just have the clock stopped because that makes the clock stop so much. Um, yeah, there we go. Um, that's all my thoughts on all this. And I think that's it for today. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow with another podcast. Not sure what we're talking about tomorrow. I don't think I'll have another position group or another football game knocked out, but we will see. Um, so yeah, that'll do it for today. See you guys tomorrow and have fun with the rest of your day or something. I don't know. I don't know what to say at the end of these. Uh, so bye.